Hello, patrons, and welcome to the first of hopefully many vlogs. It's not a vlog. A vlog implies a video. This would be an audio log. Okay, well, audio log just, I don't know. I ain't getting into semantics. So, yeah, this is the first one. Hopefully you guys like it. And uh, we are here to talk about HBO's Watchmen. Because, you know, we have very strong opinions about Watchmen in general. Yeah, so uh, let's just kind of start about, you know, our takes going in. Going in, I was not seeing a lot that got me excited about this. And to be fair, there really hasn't been a lot of great after Watchmen content. Uh, really, like, any great after Watchmen content. At least not the same caliber. I don't know if they're ever going to fully, you know, recapture that because... That was, you know, some serious creative Titanic weight going at it in the height of their creativity. I and mean, before Alan Moore went, he was crazy, but he wasn't fully, you know, today's level of batshit crazy. Yeah, so now before we get into the details, a simple thing. It's a pilot episode, so did I enjoy it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> my, my overall feelings are, it's fine. Uh, in fact, it could be great. I see potential. Uh, I'm not terribly excited. I see some things that are... It's not that they don't work for me, but just I see what they're doing, and it's not particularly interesting to me. But I see plenty of other stuff that could be very Watchmen-like. And, I mean, I was going to watch the rest of the show, basically, anyway, because we're doing this thing, and I'm somewhat obligated to by, from Ulrich. But, you know, I'm not... I'm not dreading it by any means. I'll forward to watching more, I suppose. Uh, what about you? What would be your overall thoughts before we get into details? I was really honestly kind of worried that it would be bad because we already planned to do this because we want to you know, make more content for you guys. And I was afraid we were going to agree to watch this and it's going to be terrible and long and painful. And I don't know if it's really that good or I got caught up in the hype of it all, but I really enjoyed this and I'm looking forward to more. And maybe the simple answer is I love Watchmen and more Watchmen content that's good is a nice change. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, at the end of the day, I'm a pretty simple man. Um, you make something that's at least a little bit entertaining that doesn't trample on what I love, I'll give you a chance. And this is definitely one I want to give a chance. And I really, really hope that it doesn't shit the bed a la American Gods and, well, mainly American Gods. I will comment on that when I ever I finally see season two of it. But <laughs> now there, there's our, our loose, like, it's just one episode out right now, and if you're a fan of Watchmen, it's not terrible. Go give it a shot. Like, see how you feel. Oh, and also, it's a but uh, very apparent, at least in one scene, that the particular version of the Watchmen story that they are continuing from is the graphic novel version, not the movie version. I personally love the movie version, but if you're one of those people who's more of a purist for how the original story ended... Yeah, good news for you. I'm curious what they're going to do with that and why they made that distinction. Like, okay, we're going with the comic ending. I mean, I'm I liked how it was. Well, it wasn't even really implemented. I like the idea that they're going to try it because I 
question the long-term viability of that plan, but I just I, I want to know why they went with that one. Okay, since we don't really know our structure yet, I'm just going to do a quick kind of like a little bit of a breakdown of how I remember this going. I just watched this last night. Now, first of all, this show opened up, and I wasn't even sure for the first 10 minutes or so that I was even watching the right show. Which is not a good thing or a bad thing at the end of the day. It's just a thing that's interesting because the first scene is it takes place. Yeah, at this point forward, hopefully you've seen it or if you haven't seen it and just want to hear a little synopsis. Anyway, the first scene is about the uh, Black Wall Street Massacre in 1921 in Tulsa. Basically, the Klan, the Ku Klux Klan messed up this uh, this town of Tulsa, killing a bunch of you know, black people and whatnot. It was a bit more than that. We'll kind of circle back because I do kind of want to talk about that, but just to jump in real quick, it's it's worse than just the clan. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm doing broad, like, I admit my knowledge of this particular event is very minimal, and partly that's because what's interesting about this event is that uh, historically, papers didn't really report a lot on it. In fact, at the time, 1921, there were a lot of news outlets who were sympathetic to the attackers essentially so yeah no we'll, we'll circle around back to it because one i feel it's relevant and two i kind of want to talk about it for the record but, uh also as a side note anyone who's seen jane saw by reboot there's a line in it that comes to mind which is and i quote the clan ruins everything and they do and well end quote before the end they do but you know what i mean so watching this i thought that that just came to mind so anyway we have this scene or uh, of this massacre and one child getting away, like a young child, essentially. And he finds like a baby and he's got a piece of paper that his dad, I think his dad, like wrote, watch over this child on it. So he like keeps that paper as his, you know, for a reason. And then he just walks off into the the plains while Tulsa's on fire in the background. And that was the, suddenly the the name of the episode. Um, it, it's summer and we're running out of ice, I think is what the name is. Uh, yeah. I don't know what that means yet, but I, it could just be goofy title. could mean something more. Well, I think the idea is an impending doom. I mean, it's literally, I think, the yeah. imagery being shared. So, But, I mean, it's Watchmen. There's subtext to everything. And the show doesn't skimp on the idea of subtext. Now, here's already the show in very un, uh, unambiguous terms with this scene sets, hey... The point of this series, or at least this season, is going to be races, uh, racism. Like, we're going to look at that primarily. Like, you could argue that the racism was part of the original Washington story, because the original Washington story touched on, like, everything. But that wasn't really the big thing. The original Watchmen was more about, well, the idea of real-life superheroes, responsibility, the concept of different sorts of perspectives, and whether or not... Uh, coming together and compromising or being steadfast in your beliefs is the right way. There's, there's a lot going on there, but this series is like, no, nah, we're going to, the, the themes that we are looking at are going to be primarily through the lens of racism, specifically racism currently in America. If that first episode is anything to be uh, believed. So, yeah, let's just put this one out there. Typically we keep pretty apolitical on the main podcast. This we may share our opinions a bit more. No guarantee, but... I think it's going to be impossible to talk about this show without touching on it. 
Yeah, you're get you're gonna hear our thoughts more. So anyway, we cut back to the present, and we've got a a brilliantly interesting scene of a guy who, I mean, I hate to say it this way because you know names and stuff like that, but he looks and he's framed like he's supposed to be a redneck or hillbilly or you know that kind of person. He's a redneck. Uh, uh, my people are not included in this one. So he's he's driving. He gets pulled over by a cop. And the first instance that something is a little odd, right? Well, actually, the first instance is that we have this interesting kind of commentary on current. Because the second that the cop pulls him over, you can see, like, this, the, the shot is framed very specifically to show him, like, keeping his hands on top of the wheel, right? And, you know, the cop comes over and there's bright lights. So you can't see his face. And he's saying, like, hey, I'm recording you. Do you consent? And the su- thing's super tense. And then you realize that the cop is wearing a mask. So he can't see all his face. Uh, while searching for his driver's license, the, the guy in the truck has a Rorschach mask inside his glove box. And when the cop goes back to his car, he has to radio in and ask permission to have his gun unlocked from like a, a locking mechanism in the car. Which I never thought of that. And I thought that was a really cool idea. Uh, I mean, I again, politics aside, but I think the idea of having your lethal force. I think police officers having access to lethal force is important, but maybe having to go through a checklist before they can pull their lethal force is a good idea. <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, no, I love that. Like, oh, wow. Why don't we have that as a thing here? And then I remembered why we don't have that as a thing here. Well, also the show kind of then gives an example of why we don't have it as a thing there, because while he's trying to get his gun unlocked, the guy shoots him, like gets out of his car with an assault rifle and, and shoots him, and he's wearing the Rorschach mask. So our first two scenes establish very, you know, these kind of themes very strongly. The rest of the, there's no, like, scene that really stands out after these two, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the rest of the episode is primarily about doing a little bit of world building. We've got an idea of, hey, it turns out that the Rorschach guy is part of essentially a uh, domestic terrorist organization called 7th Cavalry. Nazis. They're Nazis. Yeah, Let's they are, call them what they are. Yeah. They all wear uh, Rorschach masks. They basically bastardize Rorschach's speech by you know, taking bits and pieces of it but replacing a lot of the you know specifics with race-specific stuff. But I will say, as someone who is a big fan of Rorschach as a character, it really isn't that divorced from who he is. Like, me and... No, I was thinking about that and going, okay, how do I feel about this? And I'm like... Ultimately, this is still Rorschach. I mean, this is the the worst elements of him, but he makes no qualms about his thoughts of black people and gays and everybody else. So this feels like a natural evolution of that, that people would take his words and make a cult around him. Yeah, but the thing that I thought was interesting was that a Rorschach who existed in that day probably wouldn't be like against seven cavalry they're not inherently anti his what he did they might be a little bit more focused than him because his anger was directed at basically everything that was in his mind problematic where seventh cavalry seems very focused on race as a uh, as a problem but race and sexuality and i do i do kind of wonder about that it's like what would rorschach make of this because rorschach 
well, like all the Watchmen characters, it's interesting is all this terrible stuff, but his core philosophy of there is good and there is bad, and you are either one or the other. So I kind of wonder how you'd look at these chuckle fucks. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think Rorschach might be it more on their side than anything else, all things considered. And that's, again, this is someone who's a fan of Rorschach and an absolute hater of everything Seventh Cavalry stands for. I recently ran into what I'm pretty sure is a white supremacist at a Renaissance fair. My first Renaissance fair, and all I could think is, you bastard, how dare you ruin my first Renaissance fair by being here? Ah, anyway, not the point. So we're introduced to our new cast of like main characters. Our main main character is, um, I have the cast up here so I don't mess up names, Regina King as Detective Angela Abar, who, oh, by the way, the cops wear the masks because... Basically, now all cops have to keep their identity secret because it's something called the White Knight where a bunch of, I guess, 7th Cavalry killed a bunch of police officers. So now all police are superheroes. So it's kind of like the opposite kinda of what the back. King Act was. So well, Yeah, it's kind of going back to the very origins of Watchmen and how that whole thing got started. Is for, you know, those of you who haven't read the comics, the costume thing got started because, well, the bad guys were hiding their identities and the cops didn't like that, you know, they were getting targeted by the cops so that... Or the bad guys, so they went, well, what if we were outfits? And I thought that was kind of a cool callback to the origins of the comic and kind of an interesting way to reintroduce heroes. I mean, kind of. You can't ignore Hooded Justice in that discussion. But anyway, not the point. So Regina King is a baker, but baking is basically her secret identity. She's actually a detective. And now, whereas all cops wear this, like, yellow mask, the detectives basically get to be the new superheroes with, like, special outfits and whatnot. And Regina King is codenamed Sister Knight, and her outfit is like a combination of old sheriff, eastern monk, and western nun, essentially. It's it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool outfit. Pretty simple. I was going to say, I thought that was awesome. I'm like, oh, cool. I mean, even though I don't know anything about your character, just from a uh, costume design, that's really striking and really interesting. And I want to know more about, like, why did you choose this? Which I always think is a good thing. Now, the new version of the Rorschach archetype seems to be uh, Tim Blake Nelson as Wade, whose codename is Looking Glass, who wears a mask that is a mirror. Like, it's just completely reflective with no features on it. So it's doing the same kind of thing. But he's, he's like the intense one who seems to be like super serious. But he's also, to me, has the most striking outfit because that mask is awesome. Uh, they do this thing... See- Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, they do this thing where they, they have this guy they want to interrogate, so they put him in a room with looking glass, and the room, all the walls are screens. So, like, they're playing footage on the screens, and then the footage is reflecting off his mask, and in several scenes, it just looks like Rorschach's mask. So, See, when I first saw that costume, like, oh, what the hell is that? That's dumb. I don't like that. And then I watched it, and like, okay, that's pretty cool. I'm digging all the costumes and the outfits, except Panda. He weirds me out. Yeah, but I think he's supposed to. Panda is supposed to be the... So here's one thing that the show is doing right. Uh, the the quote-unquote good guys are a problem, right? Because basically what's going on here in the, the storyline is, hey, 7th Cavalry, which has been basically quiet for three years, killed a cop. And so now the police are basically breaking their own rules by, like, making it so, hey, we're going to lift the, uh, you can't use lethal force without a checkbox. We're going to lift that rule for 24 hours, so you can go ahead and use lethal force. And they're kidnapping people without due process. 
they're torturing people for information. So like they they aren't good, but their opponents are straight up Nazis. So it's like it's one of those things where the show is trying to paint this gray area, and I think it's doing it pretty well. But the problem for me that Watchmen originally did very well is that Watchmen flipped the dynamic of heroes and villains by making the main villain like the hero, by making one of the main heroes like the worst character possible, by making one of the most well-known in-world villains a pathetic, cancer-ridden, regular dude. Like, everyone was bad. No one was really black and white. Whereas here, at least in episode one, the quote-unquote bad guys are just Nazis. Like... It's kind of hard to say that you're painting a gray picture with your quote-unquote good guys when the opponents are Nazis, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm curious where they're going to go with that because in my mind, you do that just so, you know, the audience is like, well, they're Nazis, so it doesn't matter. So I'm kind of curious, are they going to keep upping the limits and keep, you know, making the bad guys even closer to that? But it's going... But they're still Nazis and asking the questions like, well, how far is too far when you're dealing with Nazis? And what point, you know, again, like we have with Watchmen, do your heroes become just nicer, quote unquote, versions of your villains? And what is the breaking point? Yeah, but that's that's always been one of the really great things about Watchmen is the original story. And that's why I'm saying that's one thing that is not working for me like what is working is making the good guys quote-unquote come off bad but they haven't yet started making the bad guys come off as normal which i think is a important part of the i don't know the relatability of watchmen as a story but hold on before we get really deep into that although we're not gonna be talking too much longer uh two more interesting things just as side notes uh three characters from the original story show up one Dr. Manhattan shows up for a small, very small scene where you don't even really see. You just see him on Mars building a castle and then destroying it. He's expensive. He He's expensive. We're not going to see a lot of him. Yeah. Two, you see Lori Blake, Silk Spectre, uh, although now she's also known as the Comedian with a E-N-N-E. I um, didn't catch that. Yeah, she is uh, the FBI agent that is working with them. Oh, that's cool. Yep. Uh, it's a less obvious than the big one that an entire scene is devoted to. They never say his name, but I'll be damned if Jeremy Irons isn't playing Adrian Veidt. And they they make it they try to make it a little iffy because earlier you see a newspaper in the front of a a scene that says Veidt confirmed dead, and then like two scenes later, there's this weird scene of Jeremy Irons like riding a horse and living in this like castle in the middle of nowhere with these two weirdly subservient servants celebrating his anniversary and writing a story called the watchmaker's son, obviously reference to Dr. Manhattan, but that is Adrian fight. I don't like, yeah. no, I, I agree. And I think they already kind of like announced that a while back, but what the fuck is going on there? Like he handed him a horseshoe to cut the cake. They're massaging his thoughts while he's naked. What in the, God, no, what? Yeah, so I am really curious as to what Vite is doing out there. But I gotta say, getting Jeremy Irons to play him is goddamn awesome. So, No, and I've already seen a lot of people like kind of joking. It's like, 
he's the bad guy. How do you know? Because it's Jeremy Irons. He's, of course he's the bad guy. Ah, uh, I don't know about... I, I guess so. I mean, I love Scar, so what can I say? But, um, and one more, one more just scene to point out specifically. I said earlier that they're going based off of the original comic ending. There, two, there's a line and a scene that confirm this. The line is when Looking Glass is interrogating a guy, he's like, do you believe that interdimensional invasions are a hoax conspiracy perpetrated by your government? So it's like, okay, interdimensional invasions. That definitely says it's... And then to put a further top on it, apparently in this version, in this future version of the world, the thing that Vite did created a weather system, essentially, where every now and then it just rains little squid monsters. And like there's alarms that go off and all the people have to pull off the side of the road and just stay there because like you can't see through this shit at all. And so like the car just gets covered in these squid monsters, then kind of disintegrate after a little bit or not disintegrate, but like lose their form. And it was just a really weird, but interesting, like world building kind of scene, you know? Yeah, that I'm curious what that's going to lead to. Um, I don't know. I've got some theories about where they're going with that. And I do, it does kind of fix the lot, the flaw in the logic of the ending of if the government is continuing to convince everybody, or like a handful of people are con- using, you know, to convince everybody, like, no, no, we have to maintain peace because the aliens, they're going to attack any time. And oh, no, they just hit Tokyo or whatever. That, I still don't quite think the plan works. Yeah, but, but do remember that. Theoretically, anyway, the only people that know for certain that it's a hoax that are alive are uh, Dr. Manhattan, Adrian Veidt, uh, Silk Spectre, and Night Owl. And that's it. Like, yeah, the governments could probably have theorized it after Rorschach's journal like went public. And even Rorschach's journal ended before he could confirm like any of that, before he found out about any of that. Hence why I think they can you know, easily call it, like, a hoax, but there's no... The point is that even the governments themselves don't have hard proof that it that isn't what happened. No, but maybe after a while where nothing happened, they kind of realized, or maybe Ozymandias, you know, is like, okay, well, he didn't trust the government, so I don't know who knows what knows, though I am willing to bet money that Rorschach's journal was published, and that's where the Seventh Cavalry came. If everyone else went, this guy's a nut job. It's that Rorschach oh, dude. Obviously, there's not even. I don't think you even need to bet. Like that's just a definite. That's where they, the Seventh Cavalry, got his speech was from his journal. But I'm just saying that the journal ended before he went to confront Veidt. So all all the journal says at the end is that Veidt is the mastermind. But of what the journal didn't say, right? So. But anyway, but yeah, I know that some people have mentioned before talking about that neither the movie ending nor the graphic novel ending really create a anything resembling a stable situation. Eventually, the countries are going to be at each other's throats again. But if you have recurring squid storms, that's a way to keep the fear going, I suppose. Yeah, that was kind of my interpretation. And I mean, we got to I mean, we got to talk about the. The raid scene, that was pretty cool and intense when they whipped out the 30 cal machine gun and just started mowing down cows and people. Yeah, didn't work for me. Didn't literally did nothing for me. It felt like it was actually taking me away from what I was kind of interested in. I liked it because that was the oh shit moment. 
And, oh, Archie made a return. I don't know why or how they have Archie. I do like that they don't really know how to use it properly. Uh, I wouldn't say that's Archie. You look closely at that design. That's a design inspired by Archie, certainly. But uh, that's not Archie itself. Like, it's way too thin and it's more rectangular on the sides than uh, than the actual original Archie is. I think the idea more is that because Night Owl was like... I mean, he was you know, the the Batman, essentially, the closest... Well, I guess you could argue Rorschach's Batman. But he was like the, the friendly kind of hero, I think, that the police used. And he was also the tech hero, that it makes sense that the police would model their... You know, 30 years later, 40 years later, the technology is more widespread and they just model their thing after what he did. That also makes sense, but it's like you can obviously tell it doesn't work as well. Yeah, true. Although it's hard to understand what was happening when the guy was like, go higher. It's like, I can't. Is that okay? I don't really understand what's going on, but I mean, they they couldn't outpace like an old biplane. Yeah, that's what made me think it was Archie's. It's older and, you know, a bit more broken down. But if they have Archie, you think they could build better versions. So I don't know why it was crapping out the way it was. All right, so my final thoughts, like I said, the things that are working for me are the kind of ambiguousness. The the world building is very interesting. I think the cast is very great. I think particularly Regina King is doing a great job the scene where she is like in front of a sc- uh, the class and like kind of telling them why she quote unquote retired and whatnot was uh was really well done the there's an old man who apparently can lift 200 pounds and hang a guy so and is apparently the kid from the first scene i think is that is that i don't know i was doing nothing he would have to be ancient but it's possible I mean, Not, uh, he would be uh, over a hundred. He'd be about a hundred. Let's say in that first scene, he is four years old, right? That'd make him a hundred and two, because it is ninety-eight yeah, so years. It's, later. it's possible, but I don't know who he is. I mean, it's gonna be yeah. cool. I mean, I have some theories, but anyway. But so the things that aren't working for me as much are that the bad guys, quote unquote, are too well black and white, <laughs> Rorschach mask joke, to, uh, for, for a Watchmen story at present. It's just one episode. They could change that. And I think that the heavy focus on um, modern-day racist tones could be a little hampering, but that depends entirely on what they do with it. So that's not really a problem. That's just a, eh, this is cool, but you feel a little... I don't know, hamstrung. At the same time, I love the the idea of uh, making that the primary focus of a of a Watchmen story in this current time because you know, fuck Nazis. Yeah, I'm perfectly okay with a show that goes, "Hey, you know, Nazis are bad. No matter what they call themselves, they're still bad, and you shouldn't like them." Remember, Nazis are bad. So in 2019, I'm all for a show that's you know yelling that at the audience because. We got Nazis again, and people are going, yeah, but are they really Nazis? Yes. Yes, they are. (laughs) Okay, so one thing I want to talk about, and I want your take on this, is the dinner party scene. When the clock started ticking, that instantly made me sit up going, wait, what the fuck is that? What does that mean? What's going on? Oh, no, is there a bomb? And I just kept waiting for that, you know, 
payoff to what the watch taking down meant. And then, you know, we get to the end, and it's like, oh, shit. Uh, all right. I mean, I guess to me, I went right to the watchmaker and the watchmaker's son. I was thinking of that kind of symbolism other than, like, a more direct parallel. If So I don't really have anything specific for, for that. The scene was just kind of cute. It was, you know, the guy singing Oklahoma. So, um, although the fact that he basically did, I'm pretty sure he was doing cocaine, and, like, no he one He was cared. doing cocaine. Yeah. yeah, then there's a couple things about this uh, universe I have questions about. Oh, and um, the last scene of the show is doing the classic Watchmen thing, but instead of blood on the smiley face, it's like blood and water on a sheriff's badge. So they got kind of a circular to... Remember I said that the, the Tulsa Black Wall Street massacre happened? Well, the beginning of that scene is actually the kid in a theater watching an old movie about a, uh, a black sheriff taking down a corrupt white sheriff. And this is in 1921, so that was like a you know, big deal. Uh, and so then we end it with this, like, the idea of... Because Watchmen's classic symbol of the blood on the smiley face, it speaks so much. It's the idea of, like, a symbol of happiness that is corrupted by pain, suffering, and death, symbolized by the, you know, the drop of blood. Now, in this case, we've got the same thing, except it's a symbol of law and order. I mean, there is no symbol of law and order greater than, like, the sheriff's badge. And now we have literally a dead lawman bleeding on his sheriff's badge on the ground, establishing that the um, the corruption and the, the nature of law is going to be the other main theme, along with, like, how that is filtered through, like, racism and those kind of ideas. So this is what the show is like trying to convey. And this is how I feel. Like, do you agree? No, I 100% agree. That's what it's going for. And it, 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 it's, it's really weird for me to be rooting for the police and, you know, using brutal force and whatnot. And that, that instantly kind of makes me go, Oh, this feels weird. But then it kind of realized, Wait a second. The setup is now everyone's the comedian, at least in broad strokes. I would say the setup is more everyone's Rorschach because I feel like Sun Calvary. That's obvious, but even the police are acting like Rorschachs. Sister Knight is acting like Rorschach, certainly, and so is Looking Glass. Like I feel like the idea is that Rorschach's journal may have completely created Seventh Cavalry, but it also completely shaped how the you know, force of law reacts as well, so. Yeah, and I mean, we can talk more about it as it goes on. Uh, the one thing I kind of want to circle back to is talk about that opening, and Jesus Christ, what a gut punch of an opening. I agree, but I do think the sound design could have used some better work, because the the actual guns and explosions felt really muted, and not in a like artistic way. They just felt not impactful. I know that's not really have anything to do with the the actual structure or script of the scene, but I just felt like the sound design let the scene down. Just want to put that out there. So one of the first things I noticed is like Monday morning, everyone on Twitter was talking about this, and it came from two sides. People going, "Wait a second, this was a thing." And you have going, wait a second, you didn't know this was a thing? And honestly, I didn't know it was a thing. I had to look it up, and it's, it's fucked up. I mean, it's not just the clan. I mean, the cops were in on it, firebombing, uh, assisting the firebombs in a quote-unquote attempt to hold down a Negro uprising. 
I don't never heard about it before today, so or before yesterday. So yeah, I'm definitely on the that side of I, I think this is something that we should be aware of, especially so I think that's really neat that uh already the first episode of the show taught me something important about history of a really tragic, horrible incident, but something that, you know, people should be aware it happened. <laughs> Yeah, and in regards to why more people haven't really, you know, heard about it, is yeah, there's the whole race stuff and that, but it's more how no one wants to talk about atrocities in American history because it's uncomfortable and it's complicated, and we end up, you know, we as white people have to be the bad guys and. They don't really, we don't really want to talk about that, you know, or if we did, well, it happened a long time ago. And this is 1921, which, yeah. Almost 100 years ago, we're reaching the uh, the, the centennial of that, I guess. Hmm. And I mean, I just, like I said, I loved it because it brought an uncomfortable subject to the forefront and said, hey, here's the thing that happened. Bet you didn't know it happened. Or if you did know it happened, here's... The fact that you are one of very few, and I mean, it works in two points. One, it's getting a terrible event, you know, kind of shoved out there and going, hey, face it, this happened. As well as kind of like we said, establishing this show is going to deal heavily with racism and the, you know, long rooted history of racism in America. So lastly, particularly in law enforcement. Oh, yeah. Like I said, that's why it feels really weird to be rooting for cops. But anyways, uh, getting off the political bent a bit. Let me just say that um, all the episode titles have been released. Uh, like I said, the first episode is It's Summer of Running of Ice. Here are the following episode titles, just for... They have no context what they are, but just... I want to say this. It's interesting. Episode 2. Martial Feats of Comanche Horsemanship. 3. She Was Killed by Space Junk. 4. If You Don't Like My Story, Write Your Own. 5. Little Fear of Lightning. 6. This Extraordinary Being, 7, An Almost Religious Awe, 8, A God Walks Into a Bar, and 9, See How They Fly. I wanted to share those just because I saw the title of episode 8, A God Walks Into a Bar, and that made me more excited than almost anything else. (laughs) So, anyway. No, I'm definitely... I like all those titles. I like the implications. And I just kind of, you know, want to end this with asking you, are you looking forward to this show going forward? I mean, I'm optimistic. I'm excited to see where this goes. Um, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I am, I have things I'd rather be doing, but I don't dislike it. I, uh, only because I started watching Shameless recently and I love that show. Whereas I just kind of like this show. So, I'm not going to feel like like I'm being forced to watch it or anything, but I need to see more. Um, and maybe, I don't know, I just need to see more. So I, I, my feelings are very neutral right now. I'm, I'm neutral to light positive. I don't think that'll work as a rating enough. I mean, I'll say I'm optimistic and excited, and it's probably largely because I thought this was just going to be absolute garbage I was going to have to watch for 10 episodes and the fact that it's decent enough is making me excited for what's to come yeah I sure 
All right. Well, this has been our first episode. So make sure, you know, you leave comments for us if there's something you'd like us to do different in the future. Uh, as always, thank you for your patronage and enjoy the perks. Bye. <laughs>